It's Friday in the octave of Pentecost, one of the very ancient ember days. Once upon a time, a day of fasting and abstinence for Catholics for many centuries. And in the post-conciliar Novus Ordo calendar, it's none of those things. Instead, it's the Friday of the sixth week of ordinary time. We welcome as our guest today St. Ambrose of Milan, who died in 397. He talks about the dew of the Holy Spirit. And we also welcome as our guest, our saving guest, the Holy Spirit himself, who speaks to us in the inspired words of Holy Scripture, this time in the book of Judges. But first of all, let's have a look at some beautiful Pentecost customs. As you know, in the traditional calendar, we are in Octave, the octave of Pentecost. I mentioned before that the word Whitson comes from the White Sunday, White Sun, Whitson, and the white refers to our Christian baptism. Pentecost is associated with baptism because we are baptized in water and the Spirit. And so there were baptisms at Pentecost time, and people would wear their white baptismal robes. Now, in some medieval churches, uh, there was what was called a, a Holy Ghost hole in the ceiling of the church. And during the sequence, the beautiful Veni Sancti Spiritus, a carved dove or an image of a dove would swing down into the church through the hole. And also, they would let fall flower petals, like rose petals, they'd sprinkle them into the church and they'd fall down like tongues of flame. Or even, some of the more adventurous times, they would even let drop pieces of burning straw, which I think probably could have been pretty exciting. The uh, The rose petal custom is still observed in Rome, in the Pantheon. Uh, the Pantheon, of course, is, a, is an ancient pagan temple, but it was rededicated as a church. It's called Santa Maria ad Martires, St. Mary of the Martyrs. I have some pretty spectacular photographs of this event on the blog. That's wdtprs.com, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra. What does a prayer really say? Come on over and visit and see the photos. Uh, there's another beautiful custom. Uh, the post-communion prayer for Pentecost uh, makes reference to Isaiah 45 verse 8 which talks about the inward sprinkling of heavenly dew and uh, so during the days of the octave there are also other connections with dew such as in the offertory on Tuesday which speaks of manna eaten by the people in the desert remember the manna settled like dew and then they collected it and on Wednesday uh, Jesus speaks in the gospel reading again about manna and the sequence for Pentecost that beautiful Veni Sancte Spiritus I think it's probably my favorite sequence uh, it's sung every day during the octave and it refers to the soothing power of the Holy Spirit the sweet refreshment the dulci refrigerium which also, I think, uh, harks to that image of, of dew which cools us. And so in times past, because of these various connections, even in liturgical prayer, the people believed that dew at Pentecost time was particularly um, salubrious. And so they would walk barefoot through the dew at Pentecost. 
and they would even feed animals with bread that was soaked with the dew. See that manna image? It's really quite a a lovely custom how certain things are tied together with the rhythm of the year. Remember that this these ember days of the octave of Pentecost sprang out of the time when they had first harvests. And so it there, there are wonderful things that are lost to us, maybe especially as urban folk, uh, people in the cities who have less maybe connection with the rhythm of the earth and of the seasons. It's 50 long springtimes Since she was a bride But still you may see her At each Whitsuntide In a dress of white linen And ribbons of green As green as her memories of loving that were nimble tread carefully now as gentle a measure as age will allow through groves of white blossom by fields of young corn as once she was pledged to her true They stand empty The hedges grow free No young man to tend them Or pastures go see They are gone where the forests Of oak trees before Have gone to be wasted in battle Down from the green farmlands And from their loved ones Marched husbands and brothers And fathers and sons There's a fine roll of honor Where the maypole once stood And the ladies go dancing at Whitsun a straight row of houses in these latter days all covering the downs where the sheep used to graze there's a field of red poppies a wreath from the queen but the ladies remember it's with sun and the ladies go dancing Whenever I hear of scriptural or liturgical dew, I am also reminded of the great silliness that erupted when the draft for the new English translation of the Roman Missal was being discussed by the bishops in the United States. And some of these people, along with the usual liturgical expert suspects claimed that people were just not smart enough to understand what was being said in, for example, the Eucharistic prayer when references made to the dew of the Spirit. Well, of course, the dew of the Spirit is, is, is a long-standing image of the Holy Spirit. And in that Eucharistic prayer, the dew of the Spirit is a way of invoking the Holy Spirit before the consecration of the sacred species of bread and wine on the altar. So this issue of the dew of the Holy Spirit is very deep uh, and rich references in it. But some people out there were saying basically that you're just too stupid to understand this. And this is a huge problem. I think that people are smart. And when things are hard, they have to be explained. There are a lot of people who think you're too just too thick to understand accurately translated prayers, and they want everything to be dumbed down. And not only that, because they think that liturgical prayer actually has to reflect how people speak, 
that means that the prayers themselves and all the texts are going to have to undergo constant revision, which would be an absolute horror story. But I think I better get off this topic. Now, this issue of the dew of the Spirit is very beautiful. It's packed with potential for our reflection. You remember that in this octave of Pentecost, See, we are able to rest in the mystery of the Holy Spirit and consider this descent of the Holy Spirit from different angles. You see, one day isn't really enough for us to spend on this mystery. And so Holy Church, in her great wisdom throughout all the centuries, had these octave periods. Uh, One at Easter, of course, certainly one at Pentecost, but there were also other octaves. There was one at Christmas, one at Epiphany, and at different times of the year. And it gave us a chance to kind of like stop the swinging of the pendulum, stop the liturgical clock for a little while so that we could rest within the celebration and the observance of this great mystery and see it from different angles so that we could deepen our our understanding with it and our relationship with it. And if we if we take a little time to consider these beautiful images of the Holy Spirit, for example, like dew, uh, and uh, dig around and drill into that image of dew, we find that the fathers of the church had a lot to say about the symbolism of dew. Some of the fathers of the church, for example, St. Ambrose of Milan, Uh, who died in 397. He wrote some really interesting exegetical works, and he used an allegorical approach to scriptures. He got into the spiritual meaning of them, not just the literal facts that they might relate. And he took time as a good bishop to teach his flock the meaning of some of these harder things, the, the meaning of the sacred mysteries and the meaning of the illusions in scripture and what was going on in liturgy. This was part of his dimension, part of his role as bishop to his flock. And so Ambrose, in his work on the Holy Spirit, uh, he goes into what this due image is all about. And let's hear some of Ambrose on the dew of the Holy Spirit. Now remember that Ambrose, in that time in the 4th century in Milan, Ambrose was having a real war with Arians. Remember that the Arians did not believe that the Son was equal to the Father. They believed that the Son was an exalted creature, but therefore he wasn't God, that there was a time when he was not Uh, Instead, those who held the Nicene faith would say there was never a time when he was not and uh, understood uh, properly that the Son uh, was equal to the Father and that the Son is also God. But the Arians didn't believe that and the Catholics of Nicene faith and the Arians had a war all over the place. And part of the problem uh, was that the those in charge, shall we say, the emperor or those close to the emperor might have been Arians, and it, when they were, there were conflicts. And at this particular time in Milan, there was a war going on between Ambrose and the Arians. Uh, we might remember that when Augustine was in Milan, at the time of Ambrose, uh, Justina, the mother of the emperor, was an Arian, and they put huge pressure on Ambrose to turn over two of the churches in Milan for the use by the Arians, and Ambrose refused, and the Catholics actually barred themselves into the church and uh, getting got ready for a siege uh, to keep control of the churches, and the situation almost got uh, terribly uh, violent, but uh, eventually Ambrose in this terrible game of chicken kind of that he was playing with the Arians, he stared him down and he won. But uh, Ambrose really didn't like Arians, and uh, that conflict that he had with them flavored then all of his works after that time, and we can hear in his works allusions to this conflict with Arians. So in what follows, 
uh, in his work on the Holy Spirit, you might just keep your ears open for little hints of the conflict. Um, now Ambrose uh, will be speaking in the section about figures and types and mysteries and references. And these are to be understood as like foreshadowings or symbols in advance of greater realities that that would, would then follow in the history of our salvation. See, God prepares for future revelations and events by causing foreshadowings of the things that are going to come. And this is how Ambrose works things through with the different symbols and figures and types. They are foreshadowings of what was going to happen centuries later. Now, in order to get into this section uh, of Ambrose on the Holy Spirit, uh, he's going to get into Gideon. And in order to get into this right, we really should hear uh, part of the book of Judges. Uh, at least chapters uh, 6 and 7. It's a little long, but uh, it never hurts us to read scripture, and maybe some of you don't know the story of Gideon so well. We always hear about Gideon's Bibles and so forth being left in hotels. Well, who is this Gideon? And why is Ambrose so interested in talking about him in a work on the Holy Spirit? So let's listen uh, for a bit to the inspired words of Holy Scripture in the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he delivered them into the hands of Madian seven years. And they were grievously oppressed by them, and they made themselves dens and caves in the mountains, and strongholds to resist. And when Israel had sown, Madian and Amalek and the rest of the eastern nations came up, and pitching their tents among them, wasted all things as they were in the blade even to the entrance of Gaza. And they left nothing at all in Israel for sustenance of life, nor sheep, nor oxen, nor asses. For they and all their flocks came with their tents, and like locusts filled all places, an innumerable multitude of men and of camels, wasting whatsoever they touched. And Israel was humbled exceedingly in the sight of Madian. And he called to the Lord, desiring help against the Madianites. And he sent unto them a prophet, and he spoke, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I made you to come up out of Egypt, and bought you out of the house of bondage, and delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians, and of all the enemies that afflicted you. And I cast them out at your coming in, and gave you their land. And I said, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. And you would not hear my voice. And an angel of the Lord came, and sat under an oak that was in Ephra, and belonged to Joas, the father of the family of Ezri. And when Gideon his son was threshing cleaning wheat by the winepress to flee from Madian, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with thee, O most valiant of men. And Gideon said to him, I beseech thee, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why have these evils fallen upon us? Where are his miracles, which our fathers have told us of, saying, The Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us, and delivered us into the hands of Madian. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy strength, and thou shalt deliver Israel out of the hand of Madian. Know that I have sent thee. He answered and said, I beseech thee, my Lord, wherewith shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the meanest in Manasseh's, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, I will be with thee, and thou shalt cut off Madian as one man. 
And he said, If I have found grace before thee, give me a sign that it is thou that speakest to me now. And depart not hence, till I return to thee, and bring a sacrifice, and offer it to thee. And he answered, I will wait thy coming. So Gideon went in, and boiled a kid, and made unleavened loaves of a measure of flour, and putting the flesh in a basket, and the broth of the flesh into a pot, he carried all under the oak, and presented to him. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the flesh and the unleavened loaves, and lay them upon that rock, and pour out the broth thereon. And when he had done so, the angel of the Lord put forth the tip of the rod which he held in his hand, and touched the flesh and the unleavened loaves. And there arose a fire from the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened loaves, and the angel of the Lord vanished out of his sight. And Gideon, seeing that it was the angel of the Lord, said, Alas, my Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace be with thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. And Gideon built there an altar to the Lord, and called it the Lord's peace until this present day. And when he was yet in Ephra, which is of the family of Ezri, that night the Lord said to him, Take a bullock of thy father's, and another bullock of seven years, and thou shalt destroy the altar of Baal, which is thy father's, and cut down the grove that is about the altar. And thou shalt build an altar to the Lord thy God on the top of this rock, whereupon thou didst lay the sacrifice before. And thou shalt take the second bullock, and shalt offer a holocaust upon a pile of wood, which thou shalt cut down out of the grove. Then Gideon, taking ten men his, of his servants, did as the Lord had commanded him. But fearing his father's house and the men of that city, he would not do it by day, but did all by night. And when the men of that town were risen in the morning, they saw the altar of Baal destroyed, and the grove cut down, and the second bullock laid upon the altar, which then was built. And they said to one another, Who hath done this? And when they inquired for the author of the fact, it was said, Gideon, the son of Joas, did all this. And they said to Joas, Bring out thy son hither, that he may die, because he hath destroyed the altar of Baal, and hath cut down his grove. He answered them, Are you the avengers of Baal, that you fight for him? He that is his adversary, let him die before to-morrow light appear. If he be a god, let him avenge himself on him that hath cast down his altar. From that day Gideon was called Jerobal, because Joas had said, Let Baal revenge him on him that hath cast down his altar. Now all Madian and Amalek and the eastern people were gathered together, and passing over the Jordan, camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and called together the house of Abiezer to follow him. And he sent messengers into Manasseh, and they also followed him, and other messengers into the Aser and Zebulun and Naphtali, and they came to meet him. And Gideon said to God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, I will put this fleece of wool on the floor. If there be dew on the fleece only, and it be dry on all the ground beside, I shall know that by my hand, as thou hast said, thou wilt deliver Israel. And it was so, and rising before the day, wringing the fleece, he filled a vessel with dew. And he said again unto God, Let not thy wrath be kindled against me if I try once more, seeking a sign in the fleece. I pray that the fleece only may be dry, and all the ground wet with dew. And God did that night as he had requested, and it was dry on the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Then Jerobal, who is the same as Gideon, rising up early and all the people with him, came to the fountain that is called Harad. Now the camp of Madian was in the valley on the north side of the high hill. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with thee are many, and Madian shall not be delivered into their hands, lest Israel should glory against me, and say, I was delivered by my own strength. 
Speak to the people, and proclaim in the hearing of all, Whosoever is fearful and timorous, let him return. So two and twenty thousand men went away from Mount Galad, and returned home, and only ten thousand remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them to the waters, and there I will try them. And of whom I shall say to thee, This shall go with thee, let him go. Whom I shall forbid to go, let him return. And when the people were come down to the waters, the Lord said to Gideon, They that shall lap the water with their tongues, as dogs are wont to lap, thou shalt set apart by themselves. But they that shall drink, bowing down their knees, shall be on the other side. And the number of them that had lapped water, casting it with the hand to their mouth, was three hundred men, and all the rest of the multitude had drunk kneeling. And the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped water, I will save you and deliver Madian into thy hand, but let all the rest of the people return to their place. So taking victuals and trumpets according to their number, he ordered all the rest of the multitude to depart to their tents, and he with the three hundred gave himself to the battle. Now the camp of Madian was beneath him in the valley. The same night the Lord said to him, Arise and go down into the camp, because I have delivered them into thy hand. But if thou be afraid to go alone, let Pharaoh thy servant go down with thee. And when thou shalt hear what they are saying, then shall thy hands be strengthened, and thou shalt go down more secure into the enemy's camp. And he went down with Pharaoh his servant into the part of the camp where was the watch of men in arms. But Madian and Amalek and all the eastern people lay scattered in the valley as a multitude of locusts. Their camels also were innumerable as the sand that lieth on the seashore. And when Gideon was come, one told his neighbor in a dream, and in this manner related what he had seen. I dreamt a dream, and it seemed to me as if a hearth cake of barley bread rolled and came down into the camp of Madian, and when it was come to a tent it struck it and beat it down flat to the ground. He to whom he spoke answered, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joas, a man of Israel. For the Lord hath delivered Madian and all their camp into his hand. And when Gideon had heard the dream and the interpretation thereof, he adored, and returned to the camp of Israel, and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered the camp of Madian into our hands. And he divided the three hundred men into three parts, and gave them trumpets in their hands, and empty pitchers, and lamps with the pitchers. And he said to them, What you shall see me do, you do the same. I will go into one part of the camp, and do you as I do. When the trumpet shall sound in my hand, do you also blow the trumpets on every side of the camp. And Gideon and the three hundred men that were with him went into the part of the camp at the beginning of the midnight watch. And the watchmen being alarmed, they began to sound their trumpets and to clap the pitchers one against the other. And when they sounded their trumpets in three places round about the camp, and had broken their pitchers, they held their lamps in their left hands, and with their right hands the trumpets which they blew, and they crowd out, cried out, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Standing every man in his place round about the enemy's camp, so all the camp was troubled, and crying out and howling they fled away. And the three hundred men nevertheless persisted, sounding the trumpets. And the Lord sent the sword into all the camp, and they killed one another. Fleeing as far as Bethsetta, and the border of Abel-Mahula in Tabath, But the men of Israel, shouting from Naphtali and Aser, and from all Manasseh, pursued after Madian. And Gideon sent messages into all the mount of Ephron saying, Come down to meet Madian, and take the waters before them to beth and the Jordan. And all Ephraim shouted, and took the waters before them, and the Jordan as far as beth -Bera. And having taken two men of Madian, Oreb and Zeb, Oreb they slew in the rock of Oreb, and Zeb in the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued Madian, carrying the heads of Oreb and Jeb to Gideon, beyond the waters of the Jordan.
That was from the book of Judges, chapters 6 and 7. And I'm sure you took notice of how Gideon asked for the sign on the fleece. And it was all involved with dew. First the fleece was wet, and then he asked for the ground to be wet and not the fleece. But this, of course, was a sign for everything that was going to come. And God disposes things uh, in mysterious ways and uh, makes of us his instruments and makes of the things of creation his instruments to teach us things. And so we heard about, we heard about Gideon uh, being prepared to be the great instrument of, the, once again, the deliverance of the people out of pagan worship and out of oppression from uh, foreign invaders. So let's now move to what Ambrose wants to teach us about the dew that uh, that Gideon uh, saw as a sign from the Lord. And I think as I read, I might just interject some of my own comments in with this. Holy Gideon then saw the mystery beforehand. Next he chose out three hundred for the battle, so as to show that the world should be freed from the incursion of worse enemies, not by the multitude of their number, but by the mystery of the cross. And yet, though he was brave and faithful, he asked of the Lord yet fuller proofs of future victory, saying, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, O Lord, as thou hast said, Behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and if there shall be dew on the fleece and dryness on all the ground, I shall know that thou wilt deliver the people by my hand according to thy promise, and it was so. Afterwards he asked in addition that dew should descend on all the earth and dryness be on the fleece. Some one perhaps will inquire whether he does not seem to have been wanting in faith, seeing that after being instructed by many signs he still asked more. But how can he seem to have asked as if doubting or wanting in faith who was speaking in mysteries? He was not then doubtful, but careful that we should not doubt. For how could he be doubtful whose prayer was effectual? And how could he have begun the battle without fear unless he had understood the message of God? For the dew on the fleece signified the faith among the Jews, because the words of God come down like dew. So when the whole world was parched with the drought of Gentile superstition, then came that dew of heavenly visits on the fleece. But after that the lost sheep of the house of Israel, whom I think that the figure of the Jewish fleece shadowed forth, after that those sheep, I say, had refused the fountain of living water. The dew of moistening faith dried up in the breasts of the Jews, and that divine fountain turned away its course to the hearts of the Gentiles. Whence it has come to pass that now the whole world is moistened with the dew of faith, but the Jews have lost their prophets and counselors. Nor is it strange that they should suffer the drought of unbelief, whom the Lord deprived of the fertilizing shower of prophecy, saying, I will command my clouds that they rain not upon that vineyard, for there is a health-giving shower of salutary grace. As David also said, he came down like rain upon a fleece, like drops that drop upon the earth. The divine scriptures promised us this rain upon the whole earth to water the world with the dew of the divine spirit at the coming of the Savior. The Lord, then, has now come, and the rain has come. The Lord has come bringing the heavenly drops with him, and so now we drink, who before were thirsty, and with an interior draft drink in that divine spirit.
holy Gideon then foresaw this, that the nations of the Gentiles also would drink by the reception of faith. And therefore he inquired more diligently, for the caution of the saints is necessary. Insomuch that also Joshua, the son of Nun, when he saw the captain of the heavenly host, inquired, Art thou for us, or for our adversaries? Lest perchance he might be deceived by some stratagem of the adversary. Nor was it without reason that he put the fleece neither in a field nor in a meadow, but in a threshing-floor, where is the harvest of the wheat. For the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Because that through faith in the Lord there was about to be a harvest fruitful in virtues. Nor again was it without reason that he dried the fleece of the Jews, and put the dew from it into a basin, so that it was filled with water. Yet he did not himself wash his feet in that dew. The prerogative of so great a mystery was to be given to another. He was being waited for who alone could wash away the filth of all. Gideon was not great enough to claim this mystery for himself, but the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Let us, then, recognize in whom these mysteries are seen to be accomplished, not in holy Gideon, for they were still at their commencement. Therefore the Gentiles were surpassed, for dryness was still upon the Gentiles, and therefore did Israel surpass them. For then did the dew remain on the fleece. Now Ambrose, at this point, he's going to start drawing together the connections between what Gideon, that type or the figure of Christ, remember, uh, in an earlier part of this reading, which we didn't hear, he describes you know, Gideon standing under the tree, right, which you hear in the reading from Judges. And this is, of course, a symbol of the cross. And therefore, Gideon is a type of Christ. So um, let's, let, let's go on with Ambrose now. Let us come now to the gospel of God. I find the Lord stripping himself of his garments and girding himself with a towel, pouring water into a basin, and washing the disciples' feet. That heavenly dew was this water. This was foretold, namely that the Lord Jesus Christ would wash the feet of his disciples in that heavenly dew, and now let the feet of our minds be stretched out. The Lord Jesus wills also to wash our feet, for he says not to Peter alone, but to each of the faithful, If I wash not thy feet, thou wilt have no part of me. No, that's fabulous. Ambrose, this great pastor, this shepherd who loves his flock, is then now going to burst out into prayer. You know, he talks about, let the feet of our minds be stretched out to be washed by heavenly dew. It's absolutely fascinating. And now he, he prays, and he's going to be using, um, he uses uh, something from the Song of Songs. He very, Ambrose very often uses the Song of Songs in his exegesis. So let's go back to Ambrose and his prayer. Come then, Lord Jesus, put off thy garments, which thou didst put on for my sake. Be thou stripped, that thou mayest clothe us with thy mercy. Gird thyself for our sakes with a towel, that thou mayest gird us with thy gift of immortality. Pour water into the basin. Wash not only our feet, but also the head and not only of the body, but also the footsteps of the soul. I wish to put off all filth of our frailty, so that I also may say, By night I have put off my coat, how shall I put it on? I have washed my feet, how shall I defile them? How great is that excellence! As a servant thou dost wash the feet of thy disciples, as God thou sendest dew from heaven. Nor dost thou wash the feet only, but also visitest us to sit down with thee, and by the example of thy dignity dost exhort us, saying, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye do well, for so I am. 
If them I, the Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now what Ambrose is saying here is that this this reception of the due is not only for our, just our own personal private benefit, but it has to be turned back outward for the benefit of others. Remember that the Lord calls us in a twofold commandment to love of God and also love of neighbor. So let's get back to Ambrose. I then wish also myself to wash the feet of my brethren. I wish to fulfill the commandment of my Lord. I will not be ashamed in myself, nor disdain what he himself did first. Good is the mystery of humility, because while washing the pollutions of others, I wash away my own. But all were not able to exhaust this mystery. Abraham was, indeed, willing to wash feet, but because of a feeling of hospitality. Gideon, too, was willing to wash the feet of an angel of the Lord who appeared to him, but his willingness was confined to one. He was willing as one who would do a service, not as one who would confer fellowship with himself. This is a great mystery, which no one knew. Lastly, the Lord said to Peter, what I do thou knowest not now, but shalt know hereafter. This, I say, is a divine mystery which even they who wash will inquire into. It is not then the simple water of the heavenly mystery whereby we attain to be found worthy of having a part with Christ. There is also a certain water which we would put into the basin of our soul, water from the fleece, and from the book of Judges. Water, too, from the book of Psalms. It is the water of the message from heaven. Let, then, this water, O Lord Jesus, come into my soul, into my flesh, that through the moisture of this rain the valleys of our minds and the fields of our hearts may grow green. May the drops from thee come upon me, shedding forth grace and immortality. Wash the steps of my mind, that I may not sin again. Wash the heel of my soul, that I may be able to efface the curse, that I feel not the serpent's bite on the foot of my soul, but as thou thyself hast bidden those who follow thee, may tread on serpents and scorpions with uninjured foot. Thou hast redeemed the world, redeemed the soul of a single sinner. This is the special excellence of thy loving kindness, wherewith thou hast redeemed the whole world one by one. Elijah was sent to one widow, Elisha cleansed one. Thou, O Lord Jesus, hast at this day cleansed a thousand. How many in the city of Rome, how many at Alexandria, how many at Antioch, how many also at Constantinople? For even Constantinople has received the word of God, and has received evident proofs of thy judgment. For so long as she cherished the Arians' poison in her bosom, disquieted by neighboring wars, she echoed with hostile arms around. But so soon as she rejected those who were alien from the faith, she received as a suppliant the enemy himself, the judge of kings, whom she had always been wont to fear. She buried him when dead, and retains him enthroned. How many, then, hast thou cleansed at Constantinople? How many, lastly, at this day in the whole world? Damasus cleansed not, Peter cleansed not, Ambrose cleansed not, Gregory cleansed not. For ours is the ministry, but the sacraments are thine. For it is not in man's power to confer what is divine, but it is, O Lord, thy gift, and that of the Father, as thou hast spoken by the prophet, saying, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and their sons and daughters shall prophesy. This is that typical dew from heaven. This is that gracious rain. As we read, 
a gracious reign dividing for his inheritance. For the Holy Spirit is not subject to any foreign law or power, but is the arbiter of this own freedom, dividing all things according to the decision of his own will, to each as we read, severally as he wills. was St. Ambrose of Milan on the dew of the Holy Spirit and he's using the book of Judges to dig into the meaning of the, the great mystery, the symbol something that happens in the Old Testament which foreshadows what happens in the New Testament with the coming of the Holy Spirit in the church with the coming of the Holy Spirit into our souls. That Ambrose is great Bishop of Milan, he took pains to explain things to his flock. He knew, as we know, that contact with holy things, continual contact with holy things, instead of inspiring us that kind of contempt which comes from familiarity, should prompt in us a strong desire always to know more, to go more deep into them. We can't just remain ignorant of these things which are intended for our salvation or merely be content with the surface meaning of things. We have to go deeper. We have to go deeper into them. You know, it's very interesting that um, some people uh, believe uh, that maybe they're, you know, 50 years old or something and they believe that the catechism they got when they were seven years old is enough. So here they're walking around with the vague memory of what they might have learned so many years before, decades before, which they learned with the mind of a seven-year-old maybe, or a 14-year-old, or however old they were. But now, after all this life experience, they're still laboring through this life, this veil of tears, with that kind of vague recollection of they got what they got so many years before, but the mist you see the mysteries don't change, but we change each year we are a little different. we have more experiences we've experienced challenges, sorrows, uh victories, gains, and losses, uh, wonderful things and in terrible tragedies. Every year we are a little bit different. And so we ourselves are able to see the mysteries from different angles. And so Holy Mother Church presents for us every year in this marvelous rhythm of the liturgical year all of the history of salvation and all the mysteries of the Lord year in and year out in this beautiful rhythm this constant rhythm and within these rhythms we have these resting points like these octaves where we can look at one thing and focus on it from different angles but in the whole scheme of our lives we who change every year are able to look at these deep and unchanging mysteries from a new perspective we have to be constantly reviewing and renewing and deepening our understanding of the mysteries of our faith and that includes even the foundational teachings our foundational doctrines and tenets of the christian faith just the things that we would learn in catechism so that they're not just they're not just uh, empty formulas that we may have a vague recollection of from many many years ago and then as the years tick by we really haven't done much about so that they don't you know, affect us very much I mean I, I'm not saying by this that we have to all go on and be theologians what I'm saying however is that each in our own way we should we should make the saving mysteries our own and deepen them and that pastors of souls out there have the responsibility to to inspire in their people a desire to go deeper 
to go beyond the mere surface of the meanings of things, both in sacred scripture, but also in the tenets of our faith and in the formulas that we learn in catechism and in the words of the liturgy, our beautiful prayers. These things are all of a piece. And so we listen to Ambrose of Milan explaining things to his flock. He's using the allegorical approach to scripture, which can, you know, maybe seem kind of fantastic to us sometimes. But what he's doing is he's teaching us a love for things so that we go below just the surface. We go deeper. And Ambrose is also really subtly communicating something about his own mystery. He's teaching the people that when he celebrates the mysteries for them, it's something that that shapes his own life. And in breaking open all of the meaning of these words of scripture and in, in the sacred mysteries uh, that he would teach people, the new converts about after Easter, he's washing the feet of his brethren. And so explaining things like dew helps us to all ourselves in the distance of many centuries rest in the mystery of the Holy Spirit. We have to look at it from different angles. So we can consider all of our beautiful customs and music and liturgy and the spiritual writings of the Father. All of these things deepen our self-understanding. Who we are as Catholics in continuity with a glorious heritage. With that, I'll wrap up today's Pentecost podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for visiting at the blog, wdtprs.com. What does the prayer really say? Tell your friends to drop in and visit us as well. So until tomorrow and the next Pentecost podcast, this is Father Z signing off. Please pray for me as I will for you. Holy God, 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 Holy God,